it just kept dragging and dragging. But I'm just so thankful for Sabbath. So thankful for the time to share. Yesterday, I had a totally different message prepared for today. And when I woke up this morning, I was praying. I was like, Lord, please make it clear what you want me to share with the church members. And um, God totally changed the message. So I apologize that the sermon title um, is going to be something different. But I think it still applies. And I'm, I just really wanted God to speak, and I pray that he will touch your heart as, as much as he has mine. For me, I think that every time you share a sermon, it's, it's pretty much a message for yourself. It's usually the message that God has been impressing your heart during the week, and that's exactly what I'm going to share today. So let's bow our knees, just ask God to be here, present, and, and for him to speak to us today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, it is easy to, to just read the word but not truly understand what you're talking to us. And Lord, we do not want to miss your message today. Speak to us, Lord. Be by our side. Hide me behind the cross that your words may be spoken today and not mine. Lord, we are sinners in need of a Savior. And we just thank you for, for your grace that is ever sufficient. Thank you and speak to us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a farmer, and he was ready to plant and ready to expand his farm, but he was in a bit of a problem. He needed money. And as he noticed his plans ahead, he calculated how much money he would need to fulfill, and he realized he was short. And what do you do when you're short in money and you have a project to do? You borrow, right? So he decided that it was time and he should go to the banker, the, the president of the bank, and talk to him and explain his need and, and tell him what the project was. So he went to the banker, and this banker was known for being cynical, tyrannical, hard-fisted. He wouldn't let money go. And so he wasn't sure really if he would give him that loan. So as he approached the president, he, he explained his project. He said, look, this is what I want to do. It's this really good project. Can I borrow? Can I have a loan? And the president looked at him, and he had perfectly good eyes, but he said, you know, if you can tell me which of my eyes is a glass eye, I'll give you that loan. So the farmer looked at him intently, looked at his eyes, and he said, why, it's your left eye. <laughs> the president was my, my left eye? You're wrong. It's not my left eye. How did you think it was my left eye? And the farmer said, oh, quite easy. I could see a glimmer of kindness, a gleam of kindness in that eye. And I knew that was a fact. That was the eye. You know, some things of our character are shown distinctly. And you can see it in your eyes. You can see the kindness of people's eyes. But there are other things that are hidden in the heart. And not everybody finds out right away. It's easy for some of us to hide our feelings, to hide our true character, but there's somebody that sees way beyond what we can see with our eyes. You know, when you give your life to the Lord, you notice a change, right? Did you notice a change in your life? I know I did in mine. It was uh, drastically different, but it wasn't like night to day. It was a day-by-day -day growth. But it's sad to say that sometimes as Christians, years pass by, and still our characters don't show the transformation that should be there. 
Let's look in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Look with me in Philippians. So as a Christian, what does it look like when you give your life to the Lord? What happens? And I think of Philippians 3, 13 and 14. So it really shows what happens when you give your life to the Lord. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. It says, Brethren, I count, my, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, what? Forgetting. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. So when you give your life to the Lord, there's a conversion. There's a change that happens in your life. And, you're suppo and people see that change around you. But I don't know about you, but many times in our Christian walk, we become discouraged. And no longer people can see that fire, that burning desire that, that is in our life, that powerful testimony of a changed life. I know that there was one lady that I knew, and, and while we were working, she would keep telling other people, oh, it's so wonderful, I love the Lord, Let, let's pray together. And everybody on the outside was like, wow, this lady is so on fire for the Lord. She loves the Lord. But you know what was the problem? In her day-to-day -day conversations, in the way she worked, she was not representing Christ. She was showing something completely different. Now, I want you to go with me on a journey. We're going to look at two people's lives and evaluate what was the difference between their Christian walk. We're going to look at disciples, two disciples that, that really show what the difference is in a Christian that gives themselves to the Lord and what the result should be. So go with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. And now when I hear your, your pages turning, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. If you're there, say amen. amen. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Amen. Okay. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And it says that Jesus went walking by the Sea of Galilee and saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. What a testimony. They were working. Jesus called them. Immediately they left their nets and followed the Lord. Would you be doing that? Would you automatically leave your job and say, yes, I, I believe in what you're doing. I'll follow you. It says later on that other disciples followed him too. It says that, um, and going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they what? Immediately. It didn't take them a day or two. Immediately they left their nets and they did what? They followed him. You can see here evidence of faith, evidence of they want to follow Jesus, they believe in what he's doing, and they, they're following him. And it says in verse 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases among the people. So here we see that God called his disciples. Were these perfect men? 
I sometimes wonder why he chose these 12 disciples because they were definitely not perfect. And for some of us, it might, it might seem a little odd to choose some of them to be the ones representing your ministry. But yet God chose them because he knew they were open. They were open heart to follow his leading. And he says that he went about Galilee teaching, preaching. He was healing. Now, picture yourself as a disciple living with Jesus, walking with Jesus, listening to his sermons. Imagine yourself listening to those sermons, those illustrations, being by the side of Jesus when he healed the sick, people that weren't walking, and all of a sudden they're walking. Imagine seeing resurrection of people that were dead and now are alive. Imagine what an experience that would be, where you get to see face-to-face, you experience the result of his ministry. Now, the disciples didn't all have a true motive. They, they, they wanted to also see him become the king and, and relieve them from the Roman oppression. But let's take a look at two of these, of these disciples. I want to look at the life of John and compare it with the life of Judas. Um, go with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verses 17. Let's take a look at what these men were known for. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and he, and he surnamed them Bonarges, which is the sons of peace, right? The sons of thunder. Now, when I read this passage, it gives me hope as a Christian that God can change my life. They were known as the sons of thunder. Is that, is that a compliment? Probably not. It was trying to reveal that these men were not perfect, and they had a character and personality. They had character that, that weren't really reflecting of God's grace. But yet it shows the grace of God that through His grace, he can change lives and transform people into his image. And it's just such a powerful experience. Go with me to Luke, Luke chapter 9. Let's look at the life of John. How is he like? Luke 9, 52 to 56. And we're going to be looking at a lot of verses, so keep your Bible open. Luke chapter 9, verses 52 to 56. And sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered in a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, would thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now, when Jesus was saving and helping, what was the initial response of these two disciples? Shall we call on fire to destroy these people? Yeah, there was, there is a lot of, of growth that needed to happen in their lives. But we see that they were not perfect. Go with me to Matthew chapter 20. We'll see another glimpse of John. Matthew chapter 20, verses 
Matthew chapter 20, verses 21. We'll start in 21. So here we see that the mother of the two disciples come, comes to Jesus and is, is requesting a favor. And she says, uh, and he said unto her, what will thou? She said unto him, grant that these two, that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of my cup that I shall drink of? and to be baptized with the baptize, baptism that I am baptized with, they say unto him, we are able. And later on, look with me in verse 25 to 28. But Jesus called them unto him and said, ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to him his life and ransom for many. So we see that at the beginning, these disciples, what were they looking for? What were they aiming for? What was their desire? Position, honor, recognition. And God throws that right away and says what? You need to be a servant. So constantly, Jesus is, is explaining, teaching them through his life what it truly means to be a disciple, sharing with them. And we, we can see that definitely John did not have the character of Christ. He was still learning. He was still in the process. He did not naturally possess a lovely character. He did not naturally possess gentleness, goodness, love, compassion. But yet, even though he was proud, ambitious, ambitious for honor, evil temper, later on, John is known as the beloved, a disciple that was loving, that even in his epistles, you can tell of his loving um, character. And that's not to show what John did in his own life. It's to show what? God's transforming power in the life of men. And it says that Jesus would rebuke him, and he would disappoint his ambition. He would test his faith. But what did John reveal? He longed for Jesus. He longed for communion. And it says that the result of John's life is a testament of his communion with Jesus. That he opened his heart and allowed the Holy Spirit to work in his life. It says that as the character of God was manifested to him, John saw his own deficiencies and was humbled by it. He desired to be like Jesus. It says that John started to see who Jesus was. John chapter 1, verse 14, really quickly. John chapter 1, verse 14, and says, And the word was made flesh, and we dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And what does glory mean in the Bible as well? character says we beheld his glory we beheld the character of jesus and the glory as the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth so john he he realized his humanity but yet there was a difference in his life he beheld the character of christ decided and allowed god to work in his life and we can see the transformation in his life because God molded his life, changed him so much that the difference 
is very, very different. Look with me in John chapter 21, 21 verse 20. John chapter 21, verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrays thee? Who was he speaking of? It says, John, the one that Jesus loved, the one that loves Jesus. What a change from, from, from the disciple that was called Thunder. All of a sudden, he's, he's a beloved disciple. He's one that sits at the breast of Jesus. He's the one that follows him, that says, we saw his character, the glory of God. It was a big transformation. But what was the difference? How did he attain to this? Did he like force himself, okay, I need to do this? How did it happen? He beheld Jesus. You know, it's, it's all about communion with Christ, accepting his grace. It says that he was a close friend with Jesus. Spending time together. You can only, it says that two saints cannot produce another saint. It requires a transformation from God to, to make such a big difference in his life. Now let's switch to the life of Judas. Quite the contrast, but I think as I started studying his life, it just, it just really made an impression in my mind that I hope you will also understand. Judas, on the other hand, did not have such a bad reputation as John did. Um, he, was, he was admired as somebody that, that had a lot of skills. Um, even his disciples would look up to him as somebody that was seemingly superior to them in knowledge and, and qualifications. And Ellen G. White expands on this, saying how, how Judas just thought himself so highly. And, and I think of it, and I'm just, I'm just scared at the fact that, you know, he also spent all this time with Jesus. Would it be possible that even us, you know, we spend all this time with Jesus, but yet we don't allow his transforming power to change our lives? Look with me in John chapter 12. Let's try to look a little bit into the life of Judas. He's not mentioned much before um, the betrayal, so it's hard to, to glean from his character. John chapter 12, verse 1 through 6. It says, everybody there? John 12, 1 through 6. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead. I'm sorry. John 12, 1 through 6, yeah. There they made him supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spike, spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which, would, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now, from the sound of this, you would think he had a really sincere reason. He's like, wow, this, this ointment, this, this perfume is so costly. What if we would have sold and given to the poor? Out of the sound of that, you'd think, wow, what a, what a generous, missionary-minded person he was. But yet, inside, you can tell he wasn't. 
But from here we can see um, what his job was as a, as a disciple as well. It says um, in verse 6, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. So we, here we see that Judas Iscariot was pretty much like the treasurer for the disciples, the accountant. He would have the money, he would take the money bag, and he would pretty much manage the finances for the disciples. But we're told that he was a thief. He would keep some of that money because he had love for money. Um, something that I read that it was um, pretty sad. In Desire of Ages, there's a chapter on Judas. And just listen with me. It says, The history of Judas presents the sad ending of a life that might have been honored of God. Had Judas died before his last journey to Jerusalem, he would have been regarded as a man worthy of a place among the twelve. Did you hear that? Worthy of a place among the twelve. And one who would be greatly missed. The abhorrence which has followed him through the centuries would not have existed but for the attributes revealed at the close of his history. I always wonder, why didn't Jesus tell him not to be his disciple? Why did he allow him to be part of the twelve, part of the chosen ones? What do you think? He followed Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus could have easily not accepted him as, the, as one of the twelve, right? He doesn't. True. True, true. It's, it's beautiful. It says that um, Jesus allowed him so many opportunities to accept Christ. It said that Christ over and over would teach, hoping that that would plant a seed in his heart. Jesus knew his heart. He knew that he had a love for money. He says, Judas had naturally a strong love for money, but he had not always been corrupt enough to do such a deed as this. He had fostered the evil spirit of avarice until it had become the ruling motive in his life. The love of mammon overbalanced his love for Christ. Through becoming the slave of one vice, he gave himself to Satan to be driven away to any length and sin. Now Judas could have been a powerful testament of God's transforming power. Love for money, avarice, a thief, but yet God gave him the same opportunity that he gave John, but the difference was that he disregarded the voice of the Holy Spirit. He disregarded that transforming power, and little by little, he, he gave way to sin in his life, and as a result, his character at the end of his days shows the results the results of giving way to our love of sin. It says that this will be the experience of everyone who persists in tampering with sin. The elements of depravity that are not resisted and overcome respond to Satan's temptation, and the soul is led captive at his will. Did you hear that? It says this will be the experience of those that persist in tampering with sin. Are there things in our life, it might not be money, but that take a higher place in our life? Is it movies? Is it a, a person? 
Is it your time? What is more important in your life that is not allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your life? Unless we, like, like John, say, Lord, transform me. I'm a sinner. There is truly no hope in our lives. We see that, G- that Judas ultimately gave way to sin and, and, um, and betrayed Jesus. And it says that in his last days, he, he, he came up and he was repent. He, was, he felt so guilty from what he had done. And he went to return the money and begged that he, you know, Jesus was innocent. Jesus is innocent. Just, you know, release him. But obviously the priest would not give way. And it says that Judas, you know, cast himself even at the feet of Jesus. Ellen G. White says, acknowledging him to be the son of God and entreating him to deliver himself. He felt that, that heavy weight of guilt. But it says he knew that J- Judas did not repent. His confession was forced from his guilty soul by an awful sense of condemnation and looking for of judgment. But he felt no deep heartbreaking grief that he had betrayed the spotless son of God. But yet, he said, he looked pityingly upon Judas and said, for this hour came I into the world. Now, these two stories might be very, a very drastic comparison of what can happen in the life of Christians. But I think it is very easy for us to fall in the same steps as Judas. We may not betray him to be, you know, crucified on the cross, but sometimes we betray him daily with our actions. John and Judas are representatives of those who profess to be Christians and Christ's followers. They both have serious defects. We see that both are, are not completely faultless. They have defects of character. They both had the same opportunities. They walked with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They listened to the same sermons. They went to the same synagogue. Same opportunities. They both were incredibly closely associated with Jesus. They walked with him, slept with him, heard from him. They heard some of the greatest sermons as well. But what made the difference in their Christian lives? What determined this result? John, in humility, was learning of Jesus. He was not just a hearer of the word, but he was a doer. He was daily dying to self. On the other contrary, Judas was listening. He was a hearer, but not a doer of the word. Are there things in our life that are taking the place of God? You know, there's this saying from Gandhi. I, I can't remember the exact word. It's something about like, you know, I would become a Christian if it wasn't for the Christians. I can't remember the wording to it, but I remember hearing this, this saying how, you know, they love Christ, but oh, they're Christians. <laughs> and I sometimes wonder, you know, we're trying to reach out to be a blessing, to be missionaries, to bring others to the church. And I wonder how many of us drive people away with our actions? How many of us may need to allow more of the Holy Spirit to control our lives, control our characters. It's easy to say, oh, I'm a Christian. I listen to sermons. But it's another thing to be daily dying to self, daily saying, Lord, forgive my sins. Lord, change my heart. You know, I, 
I truly believe that we have an incredible responsibility to represent God's character. When we think of the time in earth history where we're at, we're not just being observed by our fellow men, our husband, our, our sister, brother, whatever. We are, we are pretty much representation, representing Christ's character here on earth. There's worlds outside that are looking into this world, looking at us and to see if these Christians will make it, to see if these Christians will follow Christ leading. And the Bible says that we are open epistles. Our lives are sometimes the only Bible that people will ever read. What is our life sharing? What is our life telling? God said that we are his people. We're the ones representing God's character. And realizing that character reflects, is supposed to reflect Christ, we realize that there's a lot of things that need to change. But can we do this on our own? Can we just decide, I want to have peace, I want to have kindness, I want to be nice to my wife, I want to be nice to my coworkers, I want to be gentle, I want to be strong. We can't decide that on our own, but we can decide to give our lives to Christ. We can decide to allow Him to work in our lives. Look with me in Philippians 13, 17. And we're almost done. Philippians 3, 17, I'm sorry. Philippians 3, 17. And this is Paul speaking. It says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. Now, doesn't that sound a little crazy? What did Paul just say? What did he say here? Philippians 3.17? Be followers of what? Me. Of me? Shouldn't he have said, be followers of Jesus? You know, Paul was following Christ so adamantly that he said, you know, even if you follow my example, it will only lead you to Christ. He was following God so intently because we see here that he continually was following in Christ. He said in verse 9, And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. He was a follower of Christ, completely follower of Christ. This is in 1 John 3, 3. Look with me there. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. It says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Who is this speaking? John. This is John, the one that was known as the man of thunder. And what was his recommendation to others? Purify yourself even as he is pure. He's saying, people, he wants you to be like Christ. God wants to change our hearts to be like him. Look in 1 John 2, verse 6 as well. He that saith he abideth in him ought also also to walk even as he walked. It keeps saying, Follow Christ, purify. You, your life needs to represent Him. Go with me to Philippians 1 6. It's a well known verse. Philippians 1 6. Being confident of what? Of this very thing that He which hath begun a good work in you 
will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you are like me and says, wow, I look at my character and I see elements of John, I see elements of Judas, you can fully acknowledge and claim this promise that God who has begun a work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God has not given up on us the same way as God never gave up on Judas, even to the very end. He gives us opportunities, but it's not in us by ourselves that that change can be brought. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Sorry, I have just so many verses I want to share. 2 Corinthians um, 12, verse 9, it says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Do you feel weak? I think only Jonathan feels weak. Is, are, do you feel weak? Amen. But it says that it's, our, it's not our strength. It's not our strength. It's in our weakness that God perfects his strength. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of who? power of Christ may rest upon me. It's God's sufficiency. It's God's grace that transforms our life. Philippians 2, 15. And this is the last verse. Philippians 2, verses 15 and 16. Actually, let's go to verse 7 says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss. And it continues to say in verses, um, sorry, chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, 7 and then 8 and 9. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Which one are you today? Are you John? Are you Judas? We want to be like John, right? We want to allow God's working in our lives. And my prayer to you today is, don't become stagnant. Allow the Holy Spirit to keep working your character. Keep purifying so that one day we may shine as gold and people will be able to say, this is a follower of Jesus. These are Christians. Why? Because they follow Christ. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before your presence just thanking you for your grace. It is sufficient for us. And Lord, we do not want to pass the opportunity to accept it in our lives, accept the transforming power of your spirit in us. Lord, there are things, there are sharp edges, there are things that don't represent your character that sometimes we do. And Lord, we want those to go away. We want to fully reflect you, not only in this church, in our community, in our homes. Lord, then when people walk through these doors, they may not see a group of people that, that argue, but a group of people that pray, a group of people that love. Help us to be shining lights, I pray. Help us to be like John. Thank you so much for your word and your promises that give us so much hope. We ask all of this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Happy Sabbath.